public commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Jesus 911 on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Marrow, we make up a two man car. We are 10 8. And Jesse, good morning. It's been a while since I've spoken to you. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Jess. Hey, Jess, I just got some uh, some sad news uh, from some guys uh, that we used to work with. That uh, one of our one of our pals, one of our the guys I know that you used to speak to quite a bit, Al Verdusco, yes, is not doing well. He uh, he's in a coma and um, needs our prayers. They um, doesn't improve by by this week by Friday. They said that uh, it will be they will be shutting the machines off. So. He's on a ventilator. Ben, he's uh, pneumonia. Yeah, I blessed it. I guess it is a ventilator. So, well, let's pray for him right now in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We pray for, uh, we pray that the Blessed Virgin Mary intercedes in this situation and just brings her, brings her needs before his needs before the Lord Jesus Christ. Ave Maria, gracia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus. Benedictus fructus ventris tui Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc in anora mortis nostri. Amen. In nomine di Patri, Filii e Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Amen. Lord, heal him. All right. Let's, uh, hey, Ruben, a short little article here is called Soul Killer News. Uh, surprise, surprise, per- surprise. It says, pornography destroys the mind, the emotions, and the soul. This is one of the things that uh, we've been battling ever since the fall of man, ever since original sin. Correct. It reads here, one of the most destructive weapons cultural Marxists deployed against the Catholic West is the proliferation and normalization of pornography. Before the advent of the Internet, porn was dispersed in shady movie theaters and bookshops. There were, however, efforts to normalize it back, uh, going back to 1953 when Hugh Hefner first published Playboy. The addition of news stories and nonfiction stories by established writers was a way to make pornography accepted by a generation of men who fought and suffered in World War II. Soon after Hollywood started to make sexuality more, more overt, what had previously been couched with innuendo gave place to open nudity and sexuality by the late 1960s. Dirty movie theaters, Bookstores popped up across the country, often in the seedy parts of town, known for drugs and degeneracy. But the perversion of porn, while still making its way out of America's children, was just a little trickle. In the 1980s, videotapes became available, and people, mostly men, no longer had to travel to the seedy part of town to get porn. All one had to do was to own a VCR, and pornography could be viewed privately in one's home. Mm. Go ahead, Ruben. Yeah, so that internet, um, you know, it could be used for good. Just uh, internet uh, could be you. You can uh, or great evil. It, it, that's the the bad part is that uh, you know there's so many things that uh, you can get into the you know dark web and and all this like we're talking about the the porn. The internet was, however, the big turning point in making pornography available to younger audiences. While porn had previously been ostracized to the relative fringes of society. The internet was used to disperse the soul-killing poison to anybody with a computer and an internet connection. 
And now what are we walking around with just these cell phones? They're like high, you know, powered uh, computers, just compact. That's right. Um, Fight the New Drug, a family advocacy site, reveals that 70% of men aged 18 to 24 watch porn at least once a month. It also reveals that 93% of boys and 62% of girls in college saw porn during adolescence. But the statistics get even more shocking. The average age a child is exposed to pornography is 11 years old. And one in 10 kids under 10 years old has seen porn. So it might be easy to wonder just how a child that young could see pornography. But the prominence of lewd and content all over the Internet might help explain this. Uh, United Families International reveals that every second, 28,258 people in the United States are watching porn. More than 12% of the world's websites are pornographic, meaning there are over 24.6 million porn sites. A quarter of all search engines' requests are for porn. That's over 68 million searches per day. With Netflix, Hollywood, and other media making porn normal, especially for younger audiences, it's a wonder how any young ones stand a chance of staying pure in such an evil environment. And Jess, you know, why are the kids given cell phones or allowed to even use the internet with no boundaries or supervision? It's startling to me. It's yeah, also, you're right. You're right, Ruben. Yeah, it's, it is. It's stealing their innocence and endangering their souls, and 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 it would be equivalent to uh, you know, giving them a gun to play with, you know, to endanger their physical bodies. This is what uh, this this the pornography industry is is endangering their their spiritual, uh, you know, their their souls. So that has something has to be done, you know, and you know the 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 parents are uh, the responsible for this. They they've got to be aware of what their kids are watching. They've got to be aware of of what they're watching. They can't be watching movies that are uh, you know sh- showing you know nudity and and things that are uh, impure. So that the kids they they normalize it for these kids. That's right. Uh, yeah, it's it's a sad state of affairs, Jess. Sure is. Uh, Servant of God, Father John Harden, one of the great, greatest Jesuits in the last hundred years, he said, nothing blinds the intellect more than sexual moral sin. And uh, Father Gabriel Amorth, rest in peace, Rome's exorcist for 29 years, says, the devil will try every trick to force man's body to become an occasion of sin. And I noticed, Ruben, in the church, just even amongst the clergy, they even have problems with this. And we know this because of so many cases of sexual predators uh, within the clergy. How does this start? Uh, bet your bottom dollar it starts with pornography on their computer. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, St. Jerome, back in the 4th century, he says something very interesting. And when he said this, it, it reminds me of Father James Martin. St. Jerome said this, quote, It is rare to find a heretic that loves chastity. Did you hear that? Oh, shoot. I mean, this this yeah. this fits Father Martin like a hand in glove. Saint Jerome said, fourth century father of the church, it is rare to find a heretic that loves chastity. Think about mm-hmm. Theodore McCarrick and others. All these modernists, Reuben, their uh, their their theological liberalism and their modernism goes along with their sexual practices. They're unchaste, and uh, that's the last thing that they're. Uh, they're thinking about becoming, as, as our Lord says, pure of heart. Mm. Uh, Jessica, we, we just got back from Nashville, and uh, I'm, I, I had a really good time. But uh, I, I'm hap- I'm going to say this that uh, that Vegas has nothing on Nashville. It is wow. It is 
really out of control when you when you see the young people that are that flock to that city, and it's probably three quarters of young girls, three three fourths of the people that we saw, and my wife mm-hmm. agreed with me that, that these women or girls. And, um, you know, they go there to party and have a, you know, a bachelorette parties. It's the number one site for, for that. And um, there's a lot of debauchery going around. So you have to, uh, you have to have custody of your eyes. You have to have, uh, you know, n- be able to control your, your, your appetites. And, um, it, I mean, it's a beautiful city, you know, to, to tour. We, we saw, we, you know, some Civil War sites and, and whatnot, but, uh, this is how it all starts, you know, uh, drinking and, and drugs and pornography go hand in hand. I, I remember working in uh, in narcotics and uh, almost for for every house that we hit uh, meth, like a meth uh, laboratory or meth, uh, you know, they're dealing drugs out, uh, out of the house. There was always porn attached to it. Meth and mm. porn went hand in hand. And uh, you can t- even talking to these guys. It was like, you know they would get high and then they would turn to porn to, you know, and, and it would just be a cycle because then the, the more they watch porn, the more they wanted meth and then vice versa. God help yeah. us. Yeah. Ruben, I'll tell you what, a lot, a lot of this really came up in the sixties. Hugh Hefner was the first one, but after that you had Bob Gaccioni, you had a uh, Larry Flint. It was a, uh, I think it was 53. Uh, Hugh Hefner started it. Then Bob Guccione, then Larry Flint, Oh, uh, in the mid '60s and late '60s, uh, that's that's when this it it came as a result of the sexual revolution, and for people that are again pe- people that are having a a hard time with this, one of the things that uh, St. Louis de Montfort says he says, uh, say the rosary continually every single day. St. Louis de Montfort says no one can live continually in sin, and continue to say the rosary every day. Either they will give up sin or they will give up the rosary. And something else that you should do as well, get rid of anything that's tempting you. Just use some common sense. Okay, Put your computer in the living room so the kids and your wife can see you. Uh, don't be going uh, you know, to your room and locking the door some basement and, and using your laptop if you know you have no self-control. Uh, and also, go to confession offense. As you fall, go to confess this sin, if you know you're doing it every single week. I know this one guy, one good Catholic guy that was watching pornography, and I said, he goes, Jess, how do I break this? I said, go to confession every time you go to... He says, well, I'm going to be going every week. I said, it's okay. So the guy went for like 56 weeks to confession every week, and he said on the 56th week, it's like something lifted, something broke. These chains were snapped, and he said, it's been 10 years. I haven't watched pornography since. Why? He kept going to the sacrament of confession, humbling himself, receiving sanctifying grace, sanctifying grace, 56 weeks in a row until the Lord saw his sincerity, humility, and broke it, and his will was strengthened. Mm. Outstanding. Yeah, they tried to uh, normalize this, and, uh, you know, they call these gentlemen clubs. There's not one gentleman in those gentlemen clubs, I'll tell you that, Jess. Oh, no. All right. All right. We're going to talk about the extraordinary form of the mass coming up. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, 
Dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, we are back at Two-Man Car. Jesse and I are uh, going over some things that... Uh, you know, everybody needs to hear, especially you men. We just talked about uh, pornography and, and how uh, rapid, rampant it is out there. And it's a, it's a struggle to be a sin in uh, the 21st century. It's, we're all, we all struggle and we all have, uh, you know, based on our, um, you know, the graces given to us and, and being able to avoid those occasions of sin and, and uh, get deep into our faith through the sacraments, through devotions, through, you know, uh, sacramentals. Those are all things that will help us. And we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about. Yeah, let me just mention one last thing on the topic, Ruben. Yeah. Uh, Many exorcists, what they uh, recommend for people to do, and it works, they say if you're you're, uh, struggling with the sin of pornography, do the sorrowful mysteries every day, just as sorrowful. Why just as sorrowful? Because, and, and they'll actually tell you to get like a bloody corpse uh, of a crucifix with the corpse of Christ, or maybe the pictures on a book or even on the internet of the Passion of Christ, the movie that Mel Gibson made. And look at just a bloody Jesus for 15 to 20 minutes as you pray the sorrowful mysteries. Exorcists say that as you gaze upon the five sacred wounds specifically during the sorrowful mysteries, and you're just looking at him, looking at nothing else in the room except the five bloody wounds, that ends up breaking the chains to pornography, just looking and meditating on the five bloody wounds of Jesus Christ. And and this uh, this ascetical practice, it actually comes from the woman, uh, the, the woman who, you know, some, some people say it may have been Mary Magdalene, the woman that was caught in adultery, and she was going to be stoned by the Pharisees and Sadducees, and what did she do? She fell at the feet of Jesus. And you see the movie, The Passion of Christ. She grabbed his ankles. She's hugging, his, kissing his feet. This is the technique that many exorcists use for people that are, you know, steeped in sexual sin, which causes, you know, diabolical affliction in some instances. Just like the, that woman, uh, Jesus immediately forgave her and she was completely healed from her interiority by gazing at the feet of Jesus, this is a practice that uh, it, it it helps break the 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 cycle or, or the uh, the sexual perversion. Meditating on the wounds of Jesus, especially they say his feet, his bloody feet, as you're praying the uh, sorrowful mysteries of the rosary. Do that every day, uh, and go to confession as often as possible, and this will break and this will reorient your intellect and your will. And your interior life. Mm, good stuff, Jess. Okay. Okay. So we're going to uh, talk about an, an article by Father Matthew McDonald. He is uh, talking about the Marian nature of the extraordinary form. It's a fascinating article, and um, uh, you could get it on our website or get it on uh, you know the, the show post. <clears throat> and uh, but by the way, Ruben, something important it's, is as Catholics, I, I don't think we should be calling it the Tridentine Mass, we should be calling it the Latin Mass. And I'll tell you why, because there are some people that will argue, they'll say, well, yeah, the Tridentine Mass comes from the Council of Trent from Pope St. Pius V. Well, that's what he called the Mass back then. But the Latin Mass goes back at least to the 4th century yeah, uh, in some way, shape, or form or another. So I think it's always better because you'll find, you know, modernists, they'll say, well, why do we want to go back to a Mass that came and started in 1546? No, 
It's actually called the Latin Mass, which goes back to at least the 4th century, maybe even the 2nd century. Okay, that's my take. Go ahead, Ruben. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Jess. Uh, and, and when Pope Benedict, uh, he, he gave us uh, permission, widespread permission for priests to say it, he called it the extraordinary form, and as opposed to the uh, the Novus Ordo, which is called the ordinary ordinary form, form right? Ordinary. So, that, Ruben, that, that's here something that, interesting. Let, let's look at theologically that those terms, because <laughs> yeah. those are powerful terms. Yeah, I'll tell you why. Because, for example, in the world of demons, when a demon is tempting us, just re- regular temptation, the church calls it ordinary temptation mm. now when a demon bumps up his game like ob- obsession oppression and possession the church calls that extraordinary activity so lo- notice in theology the extraordinary activity of the demon is more acute it's stronger so now you take this to the liturgy when you're calling when you're saying the liturgy the, the novus ordo mass is the ordinary you know the ordinary form mm-hmm. And you're saying that the Latin Mass is the extraordinary form. Well, if you apply that to theology, the word extraordinary means that there's more power coming in. That's what it means in the world of exorcism. The extraordinary activity of the demon, that means it's a higher form of attack. So I would argue that the extraordinary form of the Roman Rite probably indicates Pope Benedict XVI, uh, whether he did this subtly or not, uh, the graces uh, are, are, are more powerful that come in into the person. And I'll talk about why that is after. But let's go into the article. It, it, it makes sense just it makes sense. Doesn't it? Yeah, and and you know, and that the fact that the the demons hate uh Latin. So that's another uh absolutely another thing. Yep. So the article goes on to say that as COVID precautions slowly change across the United States, many bishops are becoming beginning to reinstitute the obligation to attend Sunday mass in their diocese and encourage the faithful to return because they had been giving them that dispensation to watch it on television. So um, some are indeed returning with longing to receive our Lord in the Eucharist. Still, the suppression of Mass accelerated a certain ecclesiastical decay and liturgical distortion that was already happening within the life of the Church, with not only a loss of the belief in the real presence, but also pre-existing crises of faith brought about by various liturgical Theological and ecclesial abuses, as well as a failure to evangelize many young people raised Catholic may not indeed return to the church. And many pastors and bishops wonder where to start in this storm to reach out to the disaffected Catholics and help bring them back to the church. And I would throw in there that, uh, you know, the, the one of the abuses is not allowing us to receive on the uh, on the tongue. If you're going to the Novus Ordo, um, not not allowed to receive on the tongue, and so I had many a friend that tell me, "Hey, that's that's just not right," and and it wasn't, but they did it under the under the auspices of COVID, you know, COVID precautions. Yeah, go ahead. Basically, ba- basically weaponizing. Uh, yeah, yeah, weaponizing uh, this this whole uh, scandemic pandemic. <clears throat> um, I'm gonna go right to where it jumps in, in, into where it talks about the mass. It says. Uh, Many priests and faithful are turning towards the extraordinary form of the Roman Rite, also known as the Old Latin Mass, to answer the crisis of faith evident in the Church today. This has been a growing phenomenon since issuing the motu proprio Sumorum Pontificum by Pope Benedict XVI. Catholic intellectuals, spiritual giants, and blue-collar Catholics of simple faith have flocked 
to the extraordinary form of the Roman Rite. Yes. Uh, the mention, and I'll just be Ruben out here in Phoenix. Uh, <laughs> most people, don't, the, the 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 Latin Mass here community is is jam packed. The people out there, they're in the hall, they're in in the front of the in, in, in the you know in the front of the of the church, almost on the in the patio. Uh, Bishop Olmsted is giving them another parish, so there's going to be two Latin Mass parishes in the Diocese of Phoenix because it's just bursting at the seams. So another Novus Ordo parish about 10 miles away just closed down, lack of uh, vocations mm. and lack of attendance with the hippie masses. And so Bishop Olmsted uh, is giving that parish to the FSSP. So they're going to have uh, two two FSSP parishes here in downtown Phoenix. And, it's gr- and, and, and trust me, that's going to be jam-packed too within about two or three months and Bishop Olmsted, he's noticing this. He's he's noticing the way people are flocking to these churches from all over the Diocese of Phoenix. Uh, continues, the mention of the extraordinary form uh, can fill bishops, priests, and lay leaders either with joy, enthusiasm, hostility, or bewilderment. Among priests of different generations and different liturgical preferences, such conversations about the extraordinary form can lead to a dissonance that seems like speaking Chinese to someone who only speaks English. The situation then begs the following question. Number one, why the fascination in the mass of extraordinary form of the Roman Rite, not only by the Catholic elite, but by those of simple faith? And number two, what does the mass and the extraordinary form tell me, not only about how to pray the mass in general, no matter what rite or language I attended in, but how to live my faith in Jesus? A danger that can be faced at Mass, especially where there is poor formation and lack of reverence, is a certain liturgical vanity and self-reverential activism. The This spirit and its temptation are presented to us in a certain way by St. Thomas before he saw the risen Lord, after the rest of the apostles saw him, and just as he said, quote, unless I see the wounds in his hands, his feet and side, I will not believe, John twenty twenty five. Often the church of our age and many of the faithful can say, unless I know everything that's going on at the Mass with my intellect, uh, I am always doing something at Mass, and I am feeling something, I am not really at Mass. That's mm-hmm. what a lot, of, that's what a lot of people, when they say when they go to the Latin Mass, that's exactly what they say. I just tell people, you just got to go there for a few months and just sit there and just let it wash over you, just like going to the beach and let, letting waves just wash over you. And you're going to see, as you let it wash over you, because you know you do know the structure of the Mass in English, you're going to be able to catch prayers. Oh, this is the Our Father. That's the penitential rite. That's the Kyrie eleison. Uh, that's the Glory Be. You're going to catch all that, and you're going to start. You're going to start realizing, like, wow, this is powerful. This sacred silence. I'm able to contemplate the things of God because right now, literally, I am on Calvary. And you know what happens to me, Reuben, at the Latin Mass? Because I know the theology that the Mass is the once and for all sacrifice of Calvary made present in the eternal now of sacred time. And the priest is praying, and I'm responding in my heart. I actually see myself, Mary, John the Apostle, angels, saints. I see myself on Calvary for 60 minutes, so I don't want to raise my hands. I don't want to clap. I don't want to snap my fingers. I don't want to bob my head. I understand the sacredness that I'm on Calvary. I'm on the most sacred spot on planet Earth, much like Moses when he saw God in the burning bush. That's what the Mass is. Right. 
and 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 once Catholics start understanding that, they're going to understand that the sacred silence is the only thing befitting of giving God at that moment. Right, just and what you just explained, that is active participation. That is what they meant. Uh, you know, the, yes. the Vatican II. It's not that you know you gotta you know be, be, be distributing communion, be a, a Eucharist, or being a a, a a reader at Mass. Uh, you know. Bringing up the gifts in the Novus Ordo, uh, it, it makes people, uh, I guess, they, they feel important. They feel like I've got to be doing something. This is, I'm doing my part. And your part is what you just explained, Jess. That's what we need to do. Our prayers, we, we need to be joining our prayers with that of, of you know, the the church, the, the prayers, and, and join with our priest. And, and, and that's... Yeah. <laughs> Ruben, you know what? It's crazy. Yeah. The, 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 the Latin Mass, it, it makes me feel with the theology that I'm on Calvary mm-hmm. because we are metaphysically but you can feel it in the Latin Mass we'll, we'll talk more about it in the last segment alright sounds good we are coming up on a, another break we'll be back on the other side to uh, continue with this Back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. We are back, Jesus 911. The LAPD, Love Attracts and Pride Destroys. <laughs> Ruben, we're talking about uh, this article written by a priest where it talks about the Marian nature of the extraordinary form of what he's basically arguing here, and we'll get to it. He says, just like Mary, uh, Mary receives from God. She trusts in God and surrenders to God. The priest is arguing theologically that at the Latin Mass, there's more of this Marian component from the person that attends. There's more receptivity because it's not like a dialogue Mass. Father says, you say, like, you know, the the, the Novus Ordo Mass is like almost like going to Denny's and having breakfast with somebody. You're talking to each other across the table. He says, she says, he says, he says, he says. It's a dialogue mass, and it was intended to be that way by Vatican II. They wanted a dialogue mass. What Father's arguing here is that the Latin mass is more of a... You you enter into more Marian piety. What do we know about Mary? Be it done unto me according to thy word. She received. In the Latin mass, it's a mass of receptivity because you know who the person of Christ is. It's very clear. He's the tip of the spear, the priest, who's celebrating the mass at Orientum. So the rest of us, Reuben are the benefits of those prayers that are coming from the from the, from the, the priest who's in persona Christi and uh, and 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 we we just receive the prayers and contemplate we enter into contemplation in a Marian way so it's a, the the Latin mass is very Marian and again who's the queen of all saints queen of patriarchs queen of the prophets and apostles it's the blessed virgin mary she's full of grace so i like the way he says that it's it's in the latin mass where we're able to enter into more into the the, the spirituality of Our Lady. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to drop down to where, uh, where it talks about the um, the Roman Rite. There's liturgical abuses on both sides. It, it, it talks about uh, that, you know, in the Latin Mass, you could have some a priest maybe who rushes the prayers and, you know, and doesn't uh, allow you to, uh, you know, and slop- sloppily prayed, and it, uh, it kind of hinders reverent participation. 
Um, but then on the other side, you know, the danger of liturgical vanity can even affect the external reality of the liturgy, such as seen in the architecture and ornamentation. You know, when they strip the churches and all those things, they help your, your yourself paint that picture for you. You know, the stained glass windows, the statues, you know, all those things when it's just uh, like a bare room. And some of these these modern churches, they it, you'd be hard pressed to, to think that it's a Catholic church. Um, this vanity can be present in any excessive impoverishment of externals of the liturgy for the sake of certain poverty or false relevancy with the world. And this vanity can also be found in an overemphasis of liturgical externals to neglected of reverent worship and participation in the liturgy through personal holiness of life. Um, goes on to the say that one of the strengths of the extraordinary form is that it shows that every mass that the church offers draws the individual into a greater mystery that is bigger than themselves and the local community that is present at it, since a sense of transcendence and a, a divine mystery is conveyed by the fact that the priest offers the majority of the Mass facing ad orientum and prays the canon silently. Some of my friends suggest they, they that they have just gone there for the first time and said, well, I can't hear what he's saying. Well, because he's not talking to you. You know, I just tell me <laughs> he's talking to God, you know, <laughs> so. No, you're right. That's that. Yes. I know it's funny, but that's the theology of it. Yes. Yeah. So, and, and he doesn't need to talk to us. We, you know, it's funny. People always say, well, you know what? My priest never prays for us. If, if you want to get prayed for and prayed over for over an hour, go to a Latin mass. That's exactly what the priest is doing. Yeah. He's praying for all of us. And again, his prayers have more merit because he's in persona Christi. Right. What do I mean more merit? They're more powerful because right. of his position of authority and the fact of who he is at that moment. He's in the person of Christ. There's nothing that you can do that will equal or, 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 or be above and beyond what he can do for you at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. His prayers are the most powerful. He's in persona Christi at that moment. Right. And that's why people, that's why it's been said that it's, it's God offering God to God. Yeah, well, wow. that's, that's a good way to, to describe it. Yeah. Go, go ahead, Ruben, keep on. So, yeah. A mystical encounter is made with Christ who seeks to heal and to nourish us by his body and blood and through the union of hearts established in the sacrament. This union of persons in the Eucharistic mystery and its bearing fruit in grace is at the heart of the authentic active participation in the liturgy. That's from Sanct Sacrosanctum Concilium, one of the documents in Vatican II. This is why taking the time to spiritually quiet my heart, prepare for this union with our Lord at the divine mysteries at Mass, especially at the consecration, is just as important as being present. I can show up, but my heart can be a thousand miles away from the person I love. If I do not open up my my longing to the mystery of this presence and divine life in the Eucharist, my faith in Jesus Christ risks not only becoming shallow, it risks its own starvation. Yeah, and that, that that's old Catholic theology. That comes from St. Teresa the Little Flower. She says all prayer must come from the heart, whether you're doing private prayer at home or, you know, or going to the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass or Holy Hour. All prayer comes from the heart or it's just not prayer. It would just be like Reuben's married, I'm married, uh, you know, when you say something to your wife, she knows when it's not from your heart. Mm. And she, she knows when it's just live service. And then she knows when you say something to her that's from the heart. Women can detect it very easily. And if women can do that, God can do that even more easily. He can tell whether you're praying the rosary or the divine mercy or the 12 noon angelus or going to the holy sacrifice of the mass. He knows if you're praying with your heart. That's what really matters. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so for church, I'll, I'll, read, I'll okay. jump there. For the church to authentically be who Christ made her to be, his mystical body and bride, she must remember, see and understand who she is, 
and act from that identity received from our Lord. The one who shows us how to act before the Eucharistic mystery is Our Lady. So here's the meat of the article. The one who hears the word of God and observes it in her heart. Luke 2.19, Luke 11.28. Throughout Our Lady's life as recorded in Scripture, Mary is always attentive to the divine action of grace that is before her in the present moment. From this attentiveness, she shows us how to unite our lives in worship to a mystery that is beyond us. This posture of receptivity is what she shows us both at the Annunciation, Luke one twenty six, and the foot of the cross, John 19.25. St. Elizabeth of the Trinity speaks to us of this reality in the following way. She says, quote, You are there, O Mary, at the foot of the cross, standing in strength and courage, and my Master says to me, Ecce mater tua, behold your mother. He gives you to me for my mother. And now that he has returned to his father and has put me in his place on the cross so that I may fill up those things which are wanting of the sufferings of Christ in my flesh for his body, which is the church, you are still there, O Mary, to teach me to suffer as he did, to let me hear the last song of his soul, which no one but you, O mother, would overhear. Close quote. So what Elizabeth of the Trinity speaks to us here is how Our Lady's posture of receptivity in regards to the mystery of redemption at the foot of the cross and at the Mass. Mary, as our mother, helps us to anchor prayerfully our lives in the same mystery of redemption her son Jesus extended to her in both her joys and sorrows and such rooting of one's life in the Eucharist that authentic active participation at Mass in its interior dimension, and then in daily prayer, helps us to be open and fruitful to the action of grace. And again, exhibit eight for all of this is the Blessed Virgin Mary. Reuben? Yeah, you're right, Justin. And there's a prayer in my missal, and it's I, I join with the Our Lady of Sorrows to Jesus, and and I uh, offer the Mass for you know various intentions. It's a, it's a great prayer, and I I always encourage you to, to to get there early get to, to mass early so that you can make that your you prepare yourself to, to uh to say that your prayers before mass and and then um and and just get in the right frame of mind as opposed to you know rushing and you know <laughs> interrupting people and not being able to, you know to to uh sit down and and meditate before the the mass starts prepare yourself you know, it's it's almost like a like a warm up. You know, um, when you go to the, you, you're gonna start playing a sport. You know, you get there early, you warm up, you stretch, you do these things so that you uh, can, so you're not uh, you're you're more involved and uh, you you'll get more out of it. Absolutely. So, so this participation in the Eucharistic mystery of redemption is what authentic liturgical reverence and prayer drive home to the faithful. This is why many in the church seek to be sustained in this reverence and thereby find a home in parishes that regularly offer Mass in the extraordinary form. They find that the extraordinary form of the Mass teaches and invites them to enter into the divine mysteries through its various liturgical languages of silence, mystery, reverence, and ritual in a profound and powerful way. From this, the faithful begin to understand that truly praying the Mass involves offering our entire person to Jesus in the Eucharist. This is done first in the moment of the consecration in union with the priest and reaches completion in one's Eucharistic reception of our Lord, it is in this Eucharistic union that we enter into that fiat of divine union Our Lady had with our Lord that bore Jesus in her womb and participated in his saving act on the cross. 
and uh, that you that was taken from uh, Benedict the Sixteenth's uh, Sacramentum Caritatis and uh, Pius the Twelfth's Mediator Day, and and so yeah, the, the, you're you're joining with Mary, you're, you're preparing yourself for the, the the sacred mysteries. Right, that's the argument of this priest. He does it very well. He says mm. the posture of Marian receptivity shown by the extraordinary form of the Roman Rite also acknowledges that not all people will pray in the same way, nor always receive the same benefits in prayer. The believers help to realize that effective prayer is the union of our hearts with the Lord and the removal of everything that prevents such union. It will give each person different graces for healing and salvation, whether they be a saint or a sinner struggling in a particular way, a great theologian or a struggling parent of simple faith with ten kids. The disposition that Our Lady desires to help us all gain is something that helps us unite the church and cherish the mysteries that our Lord has placed at the heart of her life for the world's salvation and sanctification. So this priest keeps coming back and back, Ruben, to Marian receptivity, Marian receptivity. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, she leads us to Christ. It's like, a, you know, you have a guest coming over and, uh, you know, the, the mother greets them and, and brings them to, you know, the the patriarch of the, of the household, you know, you this is what Mary's bringing. He's bring, she's bringing us to Christ, you know. And uh, w- Jesus came to us through Mary. He wants us to go back through Mary. And um, it's so fitting at Mass that, that you, we see this. That's what this uh, this priest is saying. Mm-hmm. We'll be Jesus right, 911. Yep. We'll be right back on the other side of the break. Back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, we are back and uh, we're talking about the Marian nature of the extraordinary form. And, you know, back in 1937, Pope Pius XI, he said, you know, uh, I'll preface it by saying sometimes I've had a friend say, well, it's been, I've been away from the church for so long. I, I'm, I don't feel worthy to go back, and I feel like a hypocrite. Well, Mary knows all—she's a, she's a good mother, you know, and uh, she said, and, and uh, Pope Pius XI said that, Thus the faithful of every age, both in public misfortune and in private need, turn in supplication to Mary so that she may come across, come to our aid and grant the help and remedy against sorrows of body and soul. Amen. And never was her most powerful aid hoped for in vain by those who besought it and with pious and trustful prayer. So she's, she wants to bring you to her son. Amen. Father ends the article by saying, Marian receptivity respects the action of grace in the life of the believer and in the present moment while seeing how it is connected to the past action of God. Such, such action is also humble, confident, generous, and knows how to act and rest according to the promptings of grace and the present moment's needs. Although the extraordinary form has certain safeguards within its structure to foster the spirit of Marian receptivity, this does not mean this form of the Roman rite is exempt from certain dangers of distortions and abuses that can undermine such receptivity. It also does not mean that this spirit of Marian receptivity is absent completely from the ordinary form of the Roman rite, 
nor the non-Roman liturgical rites of the church, like the Eastern rites. May Our Lady, through the Marian posture of of the extraordinary form, help us to enter fully into the Eucharistic mystery of her Son, Jesus, in a way that challenges, abstracts, and welcomes every person, and may this posture help us to develop a humble reverence of the divine mysteries that is not puffed up by a false nostalgia of the past, nor an idolatrous self-referentially of our present age that leads towards liturgical iconoclasm and distortion. May Our Lady, by her maternal intercession and example, empower the Church and her pastors to live out the charge given to them to be the servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God for the salvation of all people. Well said, Father. Yes, very very well said. Uh, Pope Pius XII said that, that Our Lady, she's, she's our advocate, placed between God and the sinner, takes it upon herself to invoke clemency of the judge so as to temper his justice, touch the heart of the sinner, and overcome his obstinacy. And so, uh, yeah, we, we've got to have that devotion to, to our mother and, and teach others about, about Our Lady and the power of that, that Jesus has given her. She sits at the right hand of Christ, and uh, she does intercession for us. So let's, uh, let's use our mother wisely and bring others to her so that, uh, you know, we're, we're the Fatima devotions, the Fatima, uh, you know, message that she, she says, you know, that uh, she wants us all to, you know, the first Saturday, she wants us to be praying the rosary and meditating on, on her, you know, sorrows. That's, uh, this is important, a uh, part of our faith. Right. Mm-hmm. Ruben, if, if, if anybody's interested, I, I wrote a rather long article. I'm probably going to turn it into a book one day. It's called uh, My Reflections on the Two Forms of the Mass. If you want to see what uh, I, I did a deep dive into both masses. It's about 25 pages long. It's on my website. If you go to jesseromero.com and if you click and on the front page, it says free downloads. It's, it's, it's a little book, basically. It's a 25 page book which I'm probably going to turn it into a book this year because people keep asking because I keep giving it away. And they're saying, well-written, Jess, well-written. I got theologians from the church are saying, you need to publish this. It's, it's called My Reflections on the Two Forms of the Mass. And so I do a side-by-side analysis of the Novus Ordo and the Latin Mass. And remember, I'm somebody who didn't grow up in the Latin Mass. I, I was born in 1961. I have no knowledge of the Latin Mass. I've, I've, I've come to know it probably within the last five, ten years, but the last five years... Uh, you know, at, at a deeper level, so much so that I figured that I'd write something about it. But l- let me talk about the merit of the mass, and this is this is in my in my article that I wrote. This twenty, it, 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 the old rite fosters greater humility than the newer rituals. Okay, that's objective, and this means that the that the newer ritual as a prayer has less of one of the conditions that make prayer efficacious. And what's that? It's specificity you'll find the old right the prayers are very detailed okay and and in this in this respect the old right is more meritorious than the new right since the prayer has an efficacy based upon the faith that's manifested in the prayer itself in other words i'll give you an example in the new right we do the curia on three times lord have mercy lord have mercy christ have mercy in the old rite, you do the Kyrie eleison nine times, or the priest does it nine times, okay? Three times in honor of each, each person of the Godhead. And so you'll find the, the, the uh, confidier, you'll find the new rite, it's beautiful, but the old rite's much, much richer, it's longer. It says, and we uh, invoke St. Michael or pray to St. Michael, and Saint, it's longer, it's, it's more specific. Now, 
Oh, I'm, I'm just going to anticipate an, an objection here. Somebody could probably say, well, Jess, come on. The mass is the, is the infinite uh, treasures, the infinite merits of Calvary. That's what the mass is. Of course it is. That's exactly what it is. But when you talk about every mass taps into the infinite treasures of Calvary. Every mass, okay? However, and the mass and the infinite treasures of Calvary are infinite. We got that. But in every respect, every mass has a has an infinite value because it taps into Calvary. However, there's something that's called uh, extrinsic value and intrinsic value of the mass. So you got to make that distinction, okay? The distinction between the intrinsic and extrinsic value of the mass. The intrinsic value of any valid mass is infinite because it's Jesus Christ, it's Calvary. Yep. And he's infinite, and he's the one who's offered to the Father. So in this respect, every mass has infinite value. The new rite of the mass is just as efficacious as the old rite of the mass in this respect, since they both are the same sacrifice of Christ. And the Mass, because it's the offering of God the Son to God the Father, it gives infinite glory to God. However, here's the catch. The extrinsic value or merit of the Mass, it's finite. Why? What what dictates the, the extrinsic merit of the Mass that you receive? Well, first of all... Uh, a, a, a more beautiful church, uh, the mass offered in a more beautiful church, for example, is going to be more meritorious. Uh, a, a holier priest, the mass and the prayers are going to be more meritorious. Uh, the people and the pew, if more people are in a state of grace versus more people in a state of mortal sin in the pew, the mass is more meritorious when people are there that are in a state of grace. In fact, the famous liturgical expert way before Vatican II, his name's Father Nicholas Gurr, he said this, quote, about the merit of the Mass of the ritual itself. He said this, quote, Another reason one ritual can be more efficacious than another is that it is offered with greater solemnity, as, as liturgical expert pre-Vatican II Nicholas Gurr says. He puts it this way, If it's celebrated with more pomp, the solemnity and the pomp give greater glory to God and are eminently suited to him since he is the majesty or ruler of the whole universe. He is greater than any earthly king and therefore deserves a greater ritual than any earthly king. And uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, he names humility and faith. He says humility is necessary because we must recognize our unworthiness. I find in the Latin Mass... You're, you're, we're reminded in the Latin Mass that you're sinners, and so that drives you to you like, wow, I'm, 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 I really, I'm a nobody, and you get that sense, the penitential aspect of the Latin Mass, uh, and and there's a principle, lex credendi, lex orandi, the law of what we praise, the law of what is believed, that plays a key role, and you'll find that the new rite, the the, the prayers are more streamlined, they're simplified. But we don't want to give God the, the, the you know streamlined prayers. We want to offer to God what's best. And so again, the the merits of the mass also you're affected by the holiness of the people around you. Uh, the more people in a state of grace, the more meritorious are the prayers at the mass. And uh, 
and and again, if, if you want more of this, just go to my website. It's called My Reflection on the Two Forms of the Mass. I do a deep dive, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it if, you, if you're somebody who loves a mass like I do. Mm. Ruben? Yeah. I, you know, and also, I, I, it's my own opinion that, uh, you know, from my own observations, that people come more disposed, and they're more high, higher information Catholics for the most part in, at the, the Latin Mass. They're better dressed. Hit better dressed for sure. Uh, they're 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 more. Uh, you're, you'll find most of them. Uh, again, yeah. th- th- like na- they they believe in. They follow the ninety eight percent of them follow the teachings of the church in everything, including contraception. Whereas in the Novus Ordo, like forty to fifty percent of people follow the church's teachings on everything, including contraception. So studies have been done on this, Ruben, and you'll find that the people that attend the Latin Mass seem to be Catholics that are much more serious about their faith. So when you when you take the, uh, you go to Mass, dress properly, and I've told people, would you dress like that if uh, you were going to a wedding? Probably not, you know. Uh, so dress as if you were, you dress, dress to impress because you're going into the house of God. And that's why he always called it your Sunday best. Wear your Sunday best, you know. And, um, and you know, it doesn't mean that... Uh, God's not going to uh, welcome you if you're not. Uh, you, you just wear what not everybody can afford a suit. Not everybody can you know afford nice things. But to the best of your ability is what you should be doing. And you know, not coming like you're dressed for the beach. You know, um, I, I just I, 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 that's another one of the reasons why I I I, I try to stay away from the Novus Ordo because I don't want to be judging people when I see these things. You know, so I. I and fall to the near occasion of sin. Yeah, exactly. So come on, let's just be honest. Uh, yeah. yeah. So let's uh, let, let's prepare ourselves well for, for attending a mass and to and to assist properly at mass over there. Our heart, mind, you know, our body, everything that the traditional Latin mass. It's it's you know it consists of visual, auditory, kinesthetic experiences, which are meant to bring one to the highest possible level of unity with God. So it's all those, those, the body postures and all those things. So, uh, you know, if you've never attended Latin mass, uh, you know, you ought to give it a try. You'll see what the, what has you been missing. And it's like Scott Hahn said, you know, the good becomes the enemy of the best when it keeps you from the best. And, uh, as Jesse explained, there's, uh, more graces. And for the various reasons, there's more graces at the, uh, Latin mass. And it's no knock, and we're not trying to uh, discrim- discriminate between, you know, our view, our listeners here from right. Yeah. Just go to mass with a with an open heart, and go there because you love God. So make sure your heart's in the right place. That's right. Well, so it's good to be back. Uh, you're listening to Jesus nine one one, and if you like us, hit the like button and share it. And stay tuned for hands on apologetics with Gary Mashuda. We are ten seven. We are at the Ouch. end of what? E O W.